0: Tina Rakoto Katoa ko kingi Gilbert toku ingwa he uri a no tainui terua ame toko maruwaka. Cannabis and social enterprise is the discussion on today's episode. Once again I'm here with my hoa Tui Gilling Tinakwe Tui. Koe, kingi. Our two special guests, our Manu Hiti. we're here with Manu Kadi, he's co-founder of Rua Bio and Hikurangi Group. Manu is of Ngāti Haua, Ngāti Pūkenga and Tainui and is also married into Ngāti Porou. Manu has experience with the World Bank and is working on a range of investments into cannabis, bioactives and carbon farming. Tēnā Manu. Shoda, shoda. We're also here with Martha Reissert, is a Senior Research Officer at the Shaw and Fariki Research Centre at Massey University. She is Polish, has worked in Jamaica, and at the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction in Lisbon. Kia ora mata. Kia ora Thank you so much for making our show today. So before we get into uh, some kōrero about social enterprise, um, I just wondered if you could both outline what's happening in the the medical cannabis uh, sector in New Zealand. And also a little bit of a background on the uh, reforms that are currently in place.
1: Sure. So um, in terms of medicinal cannabis law reform, we've already had a legal change there. So the new medicinal cannabis scheme entered into force three months ago at the beginning of April. And this regime aims to improve the access to medicinal cannabis products that any kiwi can obtain from a pharmacy on prescription, so that you can go to your doctor and ask for medical cannabis products. Now, in terms of how this regime is being implemented, there are some issues in that we're still waiting for domestically produced, more affordable products. And I think Manu would be better positioned to, positioned to explain what actually the industry is doing and where we are expect, can expect to have these products on the market.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got an industry association. There's about 30 companies um, that are part of that. Some of them are just the labs, but quite a few in the cultivation and manufacturing um, areas. And uh, we talked to the ministry this week. There's been uh, about twenty, twenty-two um, 22 applications. Um, I think 18 were for cultivation and seven so far for manufacturing. Um, in, in the same application can have a number of different activities as part of it. Um, so uh, we submitted, there were quite a few applications submitted in April, um, some also in May and June, but um, those that were submitted in April are going through the process. The ministry have Uh, three or four that they're now making appointments with to come and visit. They've got to do a site audit. um, And after that, they can issue the license. So they were saying that that should happen over the next month, those visits. So we're still probably six weeks away from um, licenses being issued. Um, And beyond, so that's just for medicinal cannabis licenses. Some of those are for importing only. Um, so, So all the products that are available on the market at the moment, you can... Uh, get a prescription from your doctor there's two or three suppliers um, that are importing product and you can uh, as mother said get, get a prescription and go to a pharmacy and, and um, purchase those but they are still very expensive um, and so we're still after that process we have to go through another licensing process for um, what's called GMP which is a pharmaceutical any pharmaceuticals have to be GMP compliant and that's a standard that New Zealand regulators set um, and that's quite an extensive process. So we've been working on the, just the documentation and the facilities for that for the last 18 months. And we're ready to submit our GMP documentation, but that's another uh, three or four months away from um, being processed. And once we, we have that certification, the products that we make under that license um, are recognised in New Zealand, Australia, Europe, and, and other places. Um, so there's yeah, still a bit of water to go under the bridge, but everybody's working as fast as as they can. Um, And so in terms of New Zealand product, I don't expect to see anything on the market um, until the very end of this year at the earliest, possibly into next year. Um, And the cost of them, based on our estimates, um, it's going to be fairly similar to the cost of imported products at the moment. So unfortunately, the, Mm. the regulations didn't address the affordability they were intended to. You know, if we make it locally, it should be cheaper. Um, Because we're all new companies, there's a lot of um, costs in getting established, so it's still going to be expensive for some time. New Zealand's a very small market, so the stuff that's produced in Canada and places is produced in much larger facilities than anything that New Zealand's building. Um, So it's going to, um, you know, there will be um, economies of scale from those um, producers that we'll have to compete with as New Zealand producers um, so in terms of the actual price, we, we're unlikely to see it drop hugely, I think, even with uh, local production, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's an issue, and we don't have subsidies. Um, in places like Germany, they have about two-thirds of prescriptions are, su- are fully subsidized by the health um, insurers, and that's a regulation over there, but very few markets provide subsidies to these products because they're not proven through clinical trials. Um, we're still some time away from that, you know, and then that's what you can get PharmaC uh, subsidies for. But again, where medicinal cannabis sits in the PharmaC priorities is, you know, that's a long way away. Um, you know, we've put probably five, at least five years, maybe 10 years away from a New Zealand product being um, taken through a full clinical trial process. So um, it's not going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. And
1: so can I just add that these products are mostly um pharmaceutical dosage products, so they are like oils and pills and lozenges, this kind of stuff, rather than cannabis dried herb, um, which may be allowed for vaping, but not smoking. So that is not included in the medicinal cannabis bill.
0: Great. Excellent. So the reform bill applies to public use, or are we talking company use? Both.
1: So uh, what we were talking about now was medicinal cannabis scheme. So you can go to your mm. doctor and get the prescription from pharmacy. You yeah. take it and you can uh, use it medically now. So that's already in place. But as we as we outlined, these products are still expensive and it's going to take some time for the price to go down. And therefore, the affordability and availability is really to improve. So that's one thing, that's for medical patients. But now this September, there will be a referendum on legalization of recreational cannabis. That is a different topic because recreational cannabis market means that anyone over the age of 20, so that the government wants to make it legal for people 20 years and older, can go to a licensed retailer store and buy cannabis for smoking that is a different product and anyone can use it for pleasure for recreational purposes so this is like some people compare it to having a glass of wine right and anyone can do it no no requirement for prescription nothing like this this is like having a glass of wine let's say
2: yeah probably just also that um, so there's there's medicinal pharmaceutical cannabis down one end of the spectrum there's recreational down the other that you you know use to get high and have a Psychedelic experience. In the middle somewhere, there's wellness products, um, which people may want to take, uh, not to get high, but because they're actually therapeutically helpful. But they're not class classified as uh, as medicines because they haven't been through the same pharmaceutical manufacturing process and clinical trials and so on. And so there's a, overseas and most market, not most, in many markets. There's sort of CBD products, particularly but also some which have low uh, levels of THC or balanced THC CBD that people use for um, health reasons um, in sports recovery, those sort of things. And we're talking to a, an ex-all black who uses CBD regularly. He got it in South Africa and found it very helpful for a long-term injury uh, to relieve pain and inflammation. So um, there's those sort of uses which aren't, you know, he, and he, don't, he can't have THC in his products, but neither can... Um, you know and uh, people using it in many of those cases use it um, affordably because yeah, it's difficult to access as a prescription medicine so in the middle somewhere which would be available under the the legalized uh, regime that's being proposed are those sort of products which um, potentially make therapeutic um, purposes more accessible than pharmaceuticals will be
1: Mm -hmm. i agree the the, i i guess i only add to that that at the moment the the bill that we will be voting on proposes that we will have for sale we will have only two types of products at least at the beginning this will be live plants that you can grow at your home or dried cannabis for smoking so that that's at the start but the new agency that will be created if the referendum passes will have the ability to, to introduce these other classes of products, which Manu was probably talking about, like oils, tinctures, some maybe topical creams, and they might be available in the future if that bill passes. Yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, kia ora. Manu, um, how will your um, business change if the referendum and the legislation for recreational marijuana goes through?
2: Probably not much. Um, the company has... Uh, The board and management have agreed to support a yes vote in the referendum, but we have no business plans to get into recreational products. Our shareholders came in on the basis that we're producing pharmaceuticals, and that's what we plan to continue with. And we're also very export-oriented. So um, for recreational, it's only ever going to be a domestic market. Because of the international rules, you can't export for recreational purposes only for medicinal um and we see that the global market's much bigger um, than the domestic market in New Zealand's ever going to be. Um, so we're still really focused on pharmaceuticals and that's um, where the company's going to continue to be um, putting its effort um, the, you know again we're sort of because again we're, we're export focused the New Zealand market is not a major part of our revenue projections and things so uh, if people did shift from pharmaceuticals and um, New Zealand prescription medicines to those wellness products. It's not going to have major impact on our business models and things. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're supporting the referendum, but we're not planning to to be in that market. Mm.
3: Just a little bit of a back step there. Um, how did you guys cope during COVID, if, you know, everything, a lot of your business is international?
2: Yeah, um, fortunately, I just, um, I'd spent quite a bit of time in the last, the previous 12 months overseas, and particularly in Europe, um, Uh, working with uh, potential partners and selecting um so we and we just um agreed to progress with one company um and so we'll be making an announcement in the next week around a deal that we've um secured in germany uh and so that that fortunately that that work had been done in terms of relationship building and everything else we can do online with them um and so that didn't have a major impact what did have an impact was um we we stopped our workers from going and tending to the plants, and we pulled the plants at lock. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, those all um, have been harvested, and we're starting again um, since lockdown finished. Um, so a bit of a delay. The other companies decided, you know, they they made a call that they were essential services and continued to to look after their plants, which is. Um, great for them and they've been able to continue on through so there was um, yeah, quite a diversity of how people responded in that, that time and fortunately most of our staff were able to continue particularly with that GMP documentation preparing the applications and things they were all working from home uh, so there wasn't a big impact on things from that perspective and the, um, as I say the deals with the, our overseas partner they've been able to, to proceed under lockdown.
3: Um, so that brings me nicely on to the social enterprise model that I understand that you have. Can you talk a little bit about that for our Fano, who may not be familiar with that concept and how you got the hapu and the Fano involved in that?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a long story and I'll try and condense it into a couple of minutes. But um, we, so Ngāti Pro settled with the Crown in 2012 and um, hapu re kind of um, convened, organised themselves into entities around that. Uh, through that process and um, many had a focus on education and cultural revitalization and some conservation projects and things but so the elephant in the room is jobs and economic development and um, I think it's fair to say most of the Hapu feel like that's a, a big challenge and, and something that they've struggled with, but uh, we worked um, as, as, um, as Hapu members, I suppose we, we worked with a Hapu who um, were keen to have a plan around that. And we started looking at the range of options and got into uh, focusing on uh, native bioactives, particularly Kanuka and Kina extracts um, with the view to producing high value products that could be used to natural health products and pharmaceuticals potentially. Um, so that works, uh, Gone ahead, and um, there's some really good science that's been done um, with Massey, with Cawthron, and um, most of the universities in New Zealand um, have been part of some some of the projects we've been involved with there. And uh, cannabis was one that we looked at because there's a lot of cannabis that is grown on the east coast and supplied around the country. Farmers um, here rely on it. We could see the writing on the wall in both in terms of medicinal and also legalisation and and um, and if and when that happens, Vano would need to um, have other income sources and, and potentially would be interested in uh, legal um, production. So uh, we set up um, a charitable company in 2015 called Hikurangi Enterprises and um, we weren't quite sure what it was going to do, but um, uh, we were able to partner with some investors um, and uh, form some, some other entities that are connected to that and the idea is that a charitable company um, earns commercial revenue. Uh, it's owned by a charitable trust in and time. And there may be other charitable entities like hapu entities and morai that are co the shareholders in that company. Um, but its job is to create um, income that it can give to the trust. But in the process of creating that income, uh, also create jobs in the, the community uh, for, for whanau. Um, and that's, you know, it's a cultural revitalization project as much as anything, because our pipi is thinning out and, uh, if we don't have whānau that are able to live and work here, um, it, you know, that's why the, there's 70, 80% of Ngājiputō live outside the rohi now. So I'm uh, trying to create those opportunities for Farno to be able to come home and have real decent jobs, not dangerous jobs in forestry. And we've seen farming um, decline over the years. And, and so, um, yeah, looking for those high-value opportunities. And, and it does require a lot of R&D, which is expensive and high-risk and um, – and challenging, but it's where yeah, we see the opportunities long term. So challenges to find those investors that are willing to to take a risk and, and stick in there. And also to have those structures that can um, make commercial decisions quickly. Um, some of our uh, hapū, uh, iwi, uh, marae structures can, you know, decisions by committee for land blocks and things can take quite a while. Um, and so we've set up this sort of parallel um, set of entities that can can be quite commercially focused and make those decisions quickly, um, but but sort of yeah, very much in parallel and supporting of the iwi hapu aspirations uh, for revitalising the the community. So uh, yeah, there's a number of entities there, and we did crowdfunding for one of them for the cannabis, and was you know very successful with that. Um, but it's um, yeah, there's a lot of legal work, and we've tried to get really good legal advice and good accounting support and things to make sure that yeah, everything's ticker and, and puno and we're going to do things by the book and, and have a really good foundation for other commercial activities to, to grow in time. Um, but yeah, finding those commercial opportunities that are environmentally sustainable. We've had lots of challenges with things like oil exploration and things on the East coast and the whānau saying, we don't want that stuff. We want things that are going to be good for the land, good for the phenomena, good for the moana, um, And so, sort of, yeah, low-impact, high-value products are where we're trying to focus. And medicinal cannabis was an obvious one. Um, And it's been challenging, but um, we're we're getting there.
0: Can I ask a question about social responsibility? Some of our whanau have quite varying views on medical uh, cannabis in general. So Mm. what's your approach been to... uh, assure people that, um, you know, the development of this as a business, as a social enterprise has been handled responsibly, because Mm -hmm. I imagine some of our whānau um, have a a fear of it. So what's your strategies and and approach there?
2: Yeah, it's a good question and a constant challenge. Um, You know, we're trying to be the most ethical cannabis company in the world and um, and do things right. there's uh, a group that we have connected to internationally that has what's called the Responsible Cannabis Framework um, and it has 12 action areas across environmental, social and governance that you need to be able to show that you're making progress on in terms of your ethics and sustainability. Um, so that's all around water and land and um, carbon emissions and uh, how we treat our workers, um, what we give back to the community, um, Sort of what transparency and anti corruption um, policies we and processes we have in place, so um, those are sort of things that we try to put around it um, to ensure that there is um, yeah, robust systems in place to ensure that it is ethical um, and in terms of cannabis there, you know I think when we started out there was a wide range of views in the community as we've gone on Farno uh, have been able to um, get on board in terms of um, yeah seeing what we were trying to do, understanding that the um, benefits of medicinal cannabis that um, anecdotally there's heaps of evidence. um, And when people sort of, yeah, understand that and we're not focusing on recreational, it's not something that we're interested in. We've got a a a KiwiSaver company called CareSaver that's invested in us and they're an ethical KiwiSaver provider. um, And they have strict rules and so they're not able to invest if we do get into recreational cannabis. Um, and we've challenged them a bit on that because from our perspective, um, there are some ethical reasons for um, getting involved in that industry as well. Again, it's not something that we're going to do, but um, the board are very supportive of the, the referendum being um, successful because it has some um, very positive outcomes potentially for Alfano um, that have relied on Ill- illicit cannabis. Uh, but also the control aspect of the bill that's been presented is um, – potentially world-leading in terms of its um, desire to restrict access to young people, increase the penalties there. Um, And what we've seen from the Canadian experience is that um, the access by young people dropped uh, by nearly half since legalisation. They haven't seen an increase in motor vehicle accidents related to drug driving and those sort of things. So There's a lot of um, misinformation and and myths around that, but if you look at the official Canadian statistics, it's looking pretty good in terms of the social outcomes from legalisation as well.
3: Marta, just um, just, um, given what um, Manu's just said, what, what policy or legal mechanisms can be actually made available to actually help social enterprises like this?
1: Yeah, great. I am actually fascinated by the social enterprise model and it's great to see the work that Hikurangi is able to compete with perhaps better resourced companies which are entirely 100% commercial and not focused on the communities and so on it's it's quite unique on a world scale because overseas what we've observed is actually very often this social enterprise company uh, finding themselves in a challenging position and they actually it's hard with them to compete with better resourced commercial companies, sometimes multinationals, sometimes the big Canadian companies enter other markets. I, for example, researched the reform in Jamaica, which which was really challenging for for their social enterprises or for illegal growers to transition to the legal economy because they simply didn't have the resources. So uh, that's something that I think one issue that, that... should be addressed in the law. How are we actually going to help these companies? Um, because I think that they have benefits for, for for the legal market in in New Zealand. So it's interesting that you're asking the the bill that we will be voting on, the recreational legalization bill in September. It contains some provisions um, that gives uh, that give. Um, social enterprises some priority so the bill says that applicants who who are able to demonstrate com, a commitment to the community should be prioritized so there these licenses should be prioritized um, it's great to see um, we would like to see there more clarity about how actually this social enterprise element will be weighted against other criteria because there's a range of other criteria in the bill how the licenses are going to be given and and some uh, some requirements are very strict as manu mentioned for medical cannabis you need to make sure that all your processes up for are up for scratch that the manufacturing standards so it's not so easy to establish um, a social enterprise and compete with much better resourced companies. So what we've seen overseas, unfortunately, is not that encouraging yet, but there is hope. And I I hope that that in New Zealand, we will achieve some kind of more socially just and if recreational cannabis is legalized, more diverse market, not only uh, composed of these big commercial companies.
0: Money, do you have any further picado to what Martha was
2: saying? Um, no, just, yeah, um, I, I, you know, we didn't write the bill, but it's very, um, you, know, you know, in some ways it's unfortunate we're not going into, re- because we are sort of so aligned with it, um, those requirements in the bill. And like she said, um, it will be interesting to see how they prioritise, or how, yeah, how they wait you know, and how they value and measure the level of impact that a company can have in the community. Um, they talk about Māori participation in the company or contrib- contributing to Māori communities as those communities that have been most disproportionately affected by prohibition and those sort of things. And um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that's worked out, but really um, gutsy sort of um, legislation. And again, I think world leading and they've we've got the luxury of being able to look at what has and hasn't worked overseas. And I think they've tried to take the best of, of what has worked and lead what what hasn't and, and try to sh- give it as much um, emphasis on um, harm reduction and in writing some of the wrongs from prohibition as possible so I think it's a good piece of legislation. Oh, fabulous. The,
1: the, can I just add and yeah. elaborate on that I, I totally support the social enterprise idea we've been advocating for that for making the market less commercial more focused on communities um now uh, playing a little bit of the devil's advocate at the moment the provisions in the law are quite broad and my concern this may not materialize but my concern is that what's going to happen is we're gonna we might end up with five big companies and this social enterprise provision will be just may be just used as a corporate social responsibility oh, let's employ some Maori, but it's not genuinely um, contributing to the community. This is a risk, and I think this is something we have to keep in mind when we uh, further um, when we pass the bill, if people vote yes. We need to make sure that that doesn't happen. This is something that we need to manage and make sure that this is actually um, benefiting the communities, not harming them.
0: Kilda, what a wonderful corridor! We certainly have the experts today. I'd like to thank you both for illustrating the spectrum. Firstly, the um, difference between medicinal cannabis, uh, marijuana, and then the recreational use, and the the broad um, spectrum which sits in between. So, thank you. That's very important. I also feel there is a lot of responsibility taken um, by the government and also by um, through the research that we're hearing, and also as companies and. You know, there's very clear guidelines, and we are learning. It appears from the international industry, uh, Canada, Jamaica, to inform a best um, system here. And thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for your input today. Uh, very, very grateful. Ngā mihi kōrūa. Uh, any, uh, any last thoughts there, Tui? Oh you covered it well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's us, finally. Thank you so much for tuning in to Bootahi today and we wish you all the best hay konara kyora